Hail and welcome to A is for All Hallows. I am Margot, your ghost, and these are my blood-soaked notes on witchcraft. All right, so today is the day we're finally going to talk about Samhain. Uh, for a lot of people, it is their absolute favorite celebration of the year for a lot of witches, I must say. And since we're discussing Samhain, we're also going to discuss ancestors and ancestor veneration. And of course, we're going to touch upon the lunar eclipse in Taurus, which is just tomorrow. But before we dive into all of that, I want to share one last spooky tale. I was going to be finished with spooky tales, but something actually happened this past weekend when I was camping with my husband and some friends, uh, and it is absolutely worth sharing. So. This past weekend, I went camping, my husband and I. We camped with uh, my sister-in-law and her husband and their child, along with a handful of their friends who also had uh, all of their kids with them. The kids in our group ranged from, I want to say, 12, around 12-ish, to about 14. So a really great group of kids. And since they were also close in age, they just basically ran off and had lots of fun exploring the campground and the area. Uh, and it was a great time. While the adults got to sit around the fire, our campsite was right on the water. If you follow me on Instagram, I shared some images from where I was sitting in my camp chair and I couldn't be happier to just be sitting in front of a campfire with water right next to me like that. It was absolutely beautiful. And it one of the images is actually the site of the spooky tale also. So I want to point out that um, one of the kids that was with us, who was actually 14, I actually just learned that she was 14. I couldn't believe it because she just seemed so, she's so very tall and so very mature. Uh, and so just like a good, just like a good kid. I was like, wow, when I was 14, I was just a tiny terror. So good for you. Like, I, I kind of want to like sit and tell you about my problems and see what you have to think about them because you're just so mature. But um, I want to point her out because of the confusing, spooky situation that happened with my husband. So the second night that we were camping, we had all of our tents set up off to one side of our site so that we could have a central area where we sat around the fire, where we cooked food, where we hung out, all of the things. So we had this little tent city along the water. And my tent that I shared with my husband was all the way in the back away from everyone. Kind of how I like it. And in the middle of the night, he got up to go to the bathroom. Uh, if you're not familiar with camping, when you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom at the first tree or bush that you find. <laughs> that is just <laughs> the way it is. You are under cover of darkness, no one is around, and no one can see you, and there's literally no point of hoofing it all the way to a public bathroom when there is a dark corner with a bush just waiting there for you. So that's what he did. He got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And as he was standing there, he looked over at the water, uh, probably 10 to 12, maybe 15 tops feet from our tent and where he was standing. He saw a very tall, very lean figure standing at the water's edge, looking out over the water. And he said to him, it appeared to be the 14-year-old girl that I just mentioned that was camping with us um, because of how tall and lean and the facial structure. The issue was, and he 
was he was completely cloaked in darkness by the way this is starting to sound creepy but i promise you i promise you it's not creepy in that way he kept staring at the figure because although it looked familiar to him he could not make out any facial features and at this point the figure turned to look back at him and in his bleary-eyed near delirious i just woke up state it took him a little while to realize that the reason why he couldn't make out the face was because there was no face on this figure. It was a faceless, tall, lean figure that was, you know, without eyes, seeming to be looking back at him. So he very quickly realized, you know, uh, I'm still going to the bathroom. I should finish this up. So he looked down, you know, finished closed his pants, did everything he needed to do, and stepped out from the bushes to look, get a better look at this thing, and it was completely gone. Completely gone from where it had been standing, just feet away from all of our tents looking at the water. Um, somehow, in and I understand this because in the middle of the night, things you know can be creepy and you can still go back to sleep because you're just that tired. He went back to sleep, and he didn't tell me about this until the next morning. And he was so confused by this that he even asked this girl like hey by any chance were you out you know in the middle of the night just looking at the water at all and you know she looked at him like he was crazy she was like no I, and that, I would never do that because that sounds scary and understandable um but to him it didn't look like anybody else that we were camping with except for this person until this figure turned and revealed that it had absolutely no face and as he was telling me this story i was just like Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> i was like that's a good one that's a pretty spooky tale i think you saw uh i think you saw a ghost or mm, quite possibly you saw a flesh pedestrian or i don't know but i'm gonna do a little bit of research and I'm going to share that story if you don't mind. And he was like, yeah, of course, go ahead. So the image that I shared on Instagram, which is the water's edge after dark is where he saw this figure standing. Um, and of course I went home and I did some research of this um, faceless apparition. And I also wanted to share that story, not just because it was spooky as hell, but because during this time of year, during Samhain season, that is, a lot of us are feeling and seeing things that largely go unnoticed the rest of the year. Um, I do believe that what my husband saw was a glimpse into something that is actually probably pretty normal in the spirit realm, but not typically seen until this time of year, possibly. And I thought it appropriate to share now since I'll be discussing Samhain and the thinning of the veil and spirits and ancestor work. But like I said, I did do some research into what a faceless apparition could be, if not simply a spirit um, taking in the lovely view of the water. Uh, and I came up with a few very interesting things. Here they are. From Mask of Reason, Faceless Phantoms. Nearly every culture in the world has the concept of faceless apparitions. Stories of people seen at a distance who, when the observer comes closer, reveal that they have no face as they turn are relatively common. The idea of a ghost with no identity, no face that might explain who this once was, is much more terrifying than a ghost of a loved one appearing at the end of your bed. A ghost you know is a ghost you can theoretically understand or perhaps reason or bargain with. 
A faceless ghost, however, is simply a patch of pure dread painted on the canvas of the world. Faceless phantoms come in all shapes and sizes. Faceless women seem more common in Western ghost stories, while faceless men and children are a bit more prevalent in Eastern stories, especially in Japan. However, there are faceless ghosts of all types in nearly all mythologies. In Japan, one faceless spirit is the Naparabo, literally faceless ghost. These ghosts are actually pretty harmless uh, and simply enjoy scaring people. They will often start out looking like someone known to their victim, a loved one or an acquaintance. And then once the victim draws near, the features of the face will fade away until the face is a smooth oval. The ghost doesn't actually harm the victim and will vanish soon after scaring them. It seems to simply feed off the fear it causes. Japan is not the only place where such tales exist, nor are they limited to ancient folklore. In the late 1950s, Hawaii was plagued by the appearance of a faceless woman. On the island of Oahu, in a suburb of Honolulu known as Kahala, there was a drive-in movie theater called the Wailei Drive-In, opened in 1956. A few years later, women began reporting that there was a ghost in the ladies' restroom. The stories said that patrons would go in and see a woman standing at one of the restroom mirrors combing her long black hair. She appeared to be a native Hawaiian, but as they got closer, they could see in the mirror that she had no face. In another story, a girl was in one of the restroom stalls and saw through the crack of the door that someone else had come in. They were looking in the mirror and she noticed that the visitor had no face. As she did, the spirit turned toward her and rushed to the door, slamming it hard. The smooth face pressed to the crack of the door. The girl screamed so loudly that people rushed in to see what was the matter, and they only found the girl, terrified but otherwise unharmed. The idea of a faceless phantom is also the source of a popular internet meme known as the Slender Man. The ghost or creature is said to wear a silk mask over a completely featureless face or to simply have no face at all. Becoming faceless is often seen as losing one's identity, and such images are used in the movie The Matrix to describe Neo's loss of identity, and I might add on my own, in Mike Flanagan's Bly Manor. Faceless phantoms are rarely dangerous, often only frightening people before disappearing. There's no known prevention of such specters, and because there's usually no way to identify the ghosts, it's very difficult to understand what circumstances would lead to the creation of such a phantom. I also found from the Paranormal Guide, Faceless ghosts are believed to be unaware of their own identity. They borrow the looks of living people melding their otherwise featureless expressions into the likeness of others. They differ from doppelgangers in that they borrow the looks of many people, whoever they can get close to. Faceless ghosts or, <laughs> let me try this, geists, literally faceless plus ghosts, are entities or spirits who have no identity. As a figure, they do not know who they are. All actual memory of who they were is completely erased, a form of spiritual amnesia. It has been put forward that a ghost who has lost all form of recollection on who they were when they were living is potentially suffering from some form of punishment. It would be bad enough to be forced to remain wandering, but to also have no hope of redeeming oneself due to not knowing who you are and what you have done would be much worse. 
Some people who research the occult have discussed the possibility that becoming faceless is what may await someone who succeeds in selling their soul, the buyer only wanting the certain essence that makes a spirit what it is, its memory, personality, ego, etc., leaving behind a kind of husk, the leftovers that which is common in our genetic spiritual makeup. Finally, it is thought that they are the result of someone who was unable to get past a shocking life event or tragedy. At a death, somehow, they forced all memory and recollection from themselves. Uh, and honestly, the information that I came across kept going and going and going, but I particularly liked those two entries specifically because of my husband for a moment thinking that he was looking at someone that we were camping with before realizing that it couldn't possibly be them because there was no face. So that is the spooky tale that I wanted to share that happened while we were camping in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> okay, so that was a little bit of spooky fun. Let's get on with the rest of the episode, starting with tomorrow's lunar eclipse in Taurus. As we know, lunar eclipses hold significance in many witchcraft and magical traditions. They are seen as powerful celestial events that can influence magical workings, rituals, and intentions. And they can amplify the energy and power of a typical full moon, which is associated with heightened energy and the peak of manifestation. And a lunar eclipse adds an extra layer of intensity to this already powerful condition. Eclipses in general are seen as markers of change and transformation. A lunar eclipse in particular represents a culmination of energy and is often associated with endings or the closing of one chapter to make a new one. This makes it a suitable time for personal transformation, releasing old patterns, and setting intentions for the future. The shadow of the Earth passing over the moon during a lunar eclipse can symbolize the exploration of one's own shadow self. It's a time for introspection, facing one's fears, and delving deep into inner work. Witches often use lunar eclipses to confront and work with personal issues or to release negative energies if they work with them at all, and some choose not to. Lunar eclipses are also considered powerful times for divination and prophecy, are well-suited for banishing and releasing rituals for negative emotions, bad habits, or toxic relationships, for example, uh, and also working with the shadow aspect, as the moon represents the feminine and receptive energy. A lunar eclipse provides an opportunity to work with the shadow aspect of the moon and the self. This can involve embracing and integrating aspects of the self that have been hidden or repressed. Some witches may use the heightened energy of a lunar eclipse for spell work, rituals, and intention setting that may be aligned with the themes of transformation, release, and or manifestation. But as I explained in the first episode of this October series, episode 40, many practitioners see the energy of eclipses as too intense or possibly even chaotic and choose not to work with them at all. This is because the significance of lunar eclipses in witchcraft can vary among different traditions and individual practitioners. Some may view lunar eclipses as especially potent times for their magical practices, while others may incorporate eclipse energy into their workings selectively based on their specific intentions and goals and, and you know, still some decide to batten down the hatches. Regardless of the approach, Lunar eclipses are generally seen as moments of heightened spiritual and magical potential. 
Now, keep in mind that I have referred to this moon as a blood moon, but only because blood moon is a name sometimes used to refer to the October full moon, along with the hunter's moon. So unfortunately, this can cause some confusion. Blood moon is also used to refer to a total lunar eclipse, which often results in the moon taking on a red hue. This lunar eclipse, however, will be partial, so you may have heard others referring to it as the Hunter's Lunar Eclipse as well, which is also accurate. Some other common names for the full moon in October include, like I said, the Hunter's Moon, associated with a time when indigenous peoples and early colonists engaged in hunting to prepare for the coming of winter, and the Hunter's Moon provided ample light for tracking and hunting game. Harvest Moon, which actually occurred this past September. Uh, In some traditions, the full moon closest to the autumnal equinox, which is typically in September, is known as the Harvest Moon. It's named for the additional light it provides for farmers to harvest their crops in early evening. The Dying Grass Moon, uh, which reflects the changing landscape as the grass and vegetation begin to wither and die with the arrival of autumn. And the Sanguine Moon, The word sanguine means blood red or optimistic, and it may be used to describe the moon's color during the lunar eclipse in October. Now, as for this specific lunar eclipse happening tomorrow, actually at 4.24 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to be exact, I have something from Stylecaster, October 25th, 2023. A personal journey you began in 2021 is about to come full circle. Themes of commitment, financial security, and self-reliance are likely at the top of your mind, as unexpected breakthroughs are encouraging you to move forward in a positive and self-enriching manner. How have your commitments and personal values evolved and transformed in the last couple of years? What is no longer fruitful or stable in your life? This month's full moon lunar eclipse will take place via 5 degrees Taurus. In addition to everything you've accomplished and realized, this eclipse is highlighting what lacks a practical, consistent, and grounded foundation in your life. What do you need to strengthen, solidify, and commit to in order for you to live your best life? What are you willing to live without in order to receive something even better in the long run? Do not fear. This eclipse is leading you toward your ultimate destiny. Taurus is ruled by Venus, the planet of beauty, security, and self-worth. On the other hand, Scorpio, where the sun is now, is ruled by Pluto and Mars traditionally, symbolizing everything from the way you regenerate after trauma to the way you embrace and accept intimacy. After all, the relationship that you have with yourself Taurus is a prelude to the relationship that you have with others, Scorpio. And this full moon is not like any other full moon, but something much stronger and more life-changing. A lunar eclipse takes place when the Earth casts its shadow on the moon, making it a more intense and transformative experience. This marks an emotional turning point as it will usher in life-altering changes between now and the next six months. As for the astrology surrounding this eclipse, it is both auspicious and supportive thanks to the benevolent influence of Jupiter retrograde in Taurus. The greater benefic planet is symbolic of expansion, opportunity, and spiritual growth. You could experience these new energies before and or after it stations direct in December. And remember, once again, the full moon lunar eclipse is taking place in Taurus, October 28th at 424 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Okay, let's talk about Samhain, because that's what we're all here for, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> let's get to it then. Samhain, pronounced Samhain, <laughs> spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, is a significant pagan festival that marks the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter for many witches, folk practitioners, and spiritual individuals. It is traditionally celebrated from sunset on October 31st to sunset on November 1st, though many, like myself included, choose to celebrate it as a season, spanning days or even weeks. It is also known as one of the eight celebrations of the Wheel of the Year, a calendar used by many neo-pagan and Wiccan traditions to mark the changing of the seasons. The term Samhain is of Gaelic origin and is derived from Old Irish, meaning summer's end, which points to its roots in ancient Celtic and Gaelic traditions, primarily from Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. For many, it was a time of transition from the warm, light half of the year to the cold, dark half at the harvest's end when the final crops were gathered and the agricultural year came to a close. It was a time to give thanks for the bounties of the season and also a time to honor the spirits of the deceased. As people looked ahead into the dark months of rest and dormancy, a symbolic death of the earth before the rebirth in spring, which brought themes of lost loved ones and personal mortality into the light. Samhain is believed to be a time when the boundary between living and the spirit world is at its thinnest, which allows for easier communication with the deceased and the spirit realm. Many practitioners use this time for divination, connecting with and honoring ancestors, and seeking spiritual insights and guidance. Ancestor veneration is a central theme during Samhain. It's a time to remember and pay respects to one's deceased relatives and ancestors, but also spirits of land and those who have touched our lives or inspired us in some way, which is why I will be discussing ancestors of blood, land, and spirit shortly. Altars and offerings are often dedicated to these such spirits during Samhain. And among many other ways that individuals celebrate and observe Samhain are with bonfires and fire rituals. Fire plays a prominent role in Samhain celebrations, lit to symbolize the sun's waning power and to provide warmth and protection during the darkening days of winter. Many witches and magical practitioners look to fire as a source or a symbol of purification and transformation. Costumes and masks. A tradition of wearing costumes and masks during Samhain dates back to the belief that disguising oneself would protect against malevolent spirits. And this custom has been integrated into Halloween, which, as we know, has its roots in Samhain. Divination. Samhain is considered a powerful time for this practice through various tools like tarot cards, scrying mirrors, or pendulums to gain insights into the future or connect with the spirit realm. Harvest-themed feasts. Modern practitioners often celebrate with feasts and communal gatherings. Traditional foods associated with Samhain include apples, pumpkins, gourds, and root vegetables. Traditionally, pigs were also slaughtered at this time, at this dying time of the year, making this also a traditional staple for those who partake in meat. These foods were often incorporated into feasts and celebrations, and something called the Dumb Supper is also a traditional meal set aside for spirits of the deceased, which we'll also get to soon. Honoring Ancestors 
Ancestor veneration is a central theme during Samhain. Modern witches often create ancestral altars or shrines adorned with photographs, mementos, and offerings to honor their deceased relatives. They may light candles, burn incense, and perform rituals to communicate with and pay respect to their ancestors. And of course, ritual. Samhain is a potent time for setting intentions for the coming year, releasing what no longer serves, and working with the energy of transformation. Rituals to honor the changing seasons, as well as to honor spirits of land, ancestors, and the beloved dead. Also, cemetery visits. Some individuals visit cemeteries during Samhain to pay their respects to the deceased and to be in a place strongly associated with death and remembrance. Uh, harvest and craft activities, making corn husk dolls, besoms, or cinnamon brooms, or sachets with herbs associated with protection and divination are all common during Samhain. Harvest-themed decorations and crafts are also popular. Psychopomp work. Psychopomps are spirit guides or even deities that help the deceased transition to the afterlife. Some practitioners may work with psychopomps or conduct rituals to assist spirits in their journey to the other land. Honoring Chthonic deities, those associated with the underworld or the afterlife, with offerings, prayer, evocations, rituals, etc. And of course, rituals to honor the cycles of nature, express gratitude for the completed harvest, and protect the home and loved ones from wandering, unwelcome spirits while honoring their deities, their ancestors, and much more. Modern Samhain, at its core, is a time for introspection, reflection, transformation, and connecting with the cycles of nature as well as with the spirit world. It's a celebration of life, death, and rebirth, a time to connect with ancestral wisdom and an opportunity to prepare for the spiritual and physical changes associated with the approaching winter season. And while it has ancient Celtic origins, it is celebrated and adapted by a wide range of modern pagan and witchcraft traditions, each with its own unique customs and practices. For some witches, it marks the new year, and for some, just the beginning of the dark half of the year, which will continue until Beltane. Still others prefer the solstices for indicating these markers, while others, the equinoxes. Whichever you prescribe to, there is no denying the potency and magic of this time of year. Samhain is viewed as part of the natural cycle of life, death, and rebirth, which is why it often symbolizes the death of the old year and the birth of the new one a reminder of the cyclical nature of existence. And with this death, this dying time, many believe either by experience or handed down knowledge that we are given the ability to more clearly see into the realm of the spirit world, that it is closer to us at this dying time, or that the boundary between it and us has grown thin. Now, I personally like the use of the thinning of the veil, I'm using quotes, to explain why spirit activity seems to ramp up this time of year. Yes, most of the spirits that we may come into contact with are all around us all year long. And still some may come for a yearly visit. It's their prerogative after all. But the idea of the thinning of the veil is very real to me. 
I can see it and I can feel it, typically starting shortly after the autumn equinox and lasting until around winter solstice, growing strongest, or I should say weakest or thinnest, at Samhain. Mind you, I'm speaking from personal experience and also some shared experience with fellow witches and loved ones, because some magical practitioners do not believe in the thinning of the veil at all. And that's okay. That's totally okay. However, interestingly enough, a trend I've been seeing, mostly on social media, of course, is this blasting of the idea of the thinning of the veil is nothing but myth which is laughable, to say the least, a so-called hot take that is barely lukewarm. And don't even get me started on hot takes because let's just say that I think it's, I think it's very strange that the same individuals who are jumping on the hot take bandwagon of somehow debunking the idea of the thinning of the veil as myth then continue on with their practice, which is in some part largely based on a whole lot of myth and folklore and word-of-mouth tradition, or UPG, are gods, if we have them, even Christian God. That's all myth. A plant spirit's ability to assist us in our magical workings. Yes, magic. Remember magic? Although closely related to their scientifically proven ability to aid our bodies in many ways, is also unprovable. Hell, spell work and magic itself is unprovable by the same logic that some of these individuals are using to attack the idea of the thinning of the veil. And yes, it was popularized fairly recently, the terminology I mean, but not the concept. This is metaphor. It's part of what makes language an art form, a way of explaining a very real feeling and some very real experiences that humans have been witness to for millennia. And it's a pretty damn good metaphor, if I may say so. So while I understand how helpful jumping on a hot take bandwagon seems to be for gaining followings and engagement in social media, trust me, I do it for a living. Just leave us alone with our useful metaphors for an aspect of our magic that is very real to us. <laughs> it's okay not to believe in it. And it's also okay to just let it be for the rest of us who do. Hopefully we can all agree on this, however. Now is the time to honor those loved ones who have passed from this life and the ancestors who have preceded us. We carry our ancestors with us in our memories and in our stories each and every day. As we move out of the living season here on Earth and into the season of hibernation and death, it is made clear that this in-between time is exceptional for connecting with our ancestors, as well as other spirits. Samhain is also a time to learn to deal with one's own fears and worries of mortality, as interacting with the dead makes one's own demise less fearful. Now is a time to reflect upon the year that has passed and plan for the new year ahead. While Samhain celebrates the end of the physical harvest on Earth, it is also an excellent time to reflect on your own personal harvest over the past year. The Witch's New Year is the perfect time to think about the year and all the progress that you have made, no matter how major or minor. Think all the way back to last November and work your way forward. How have you changed emotionally, spiritually, physically? What brought these changes about? What have you gained or lost in the past year? Remember, not all harvest seasons result in the bounty of food. Some seasons are wrought with drought and pests and have lower crop yield. The same is true for our own lives. 
Things that held you back over this past year should be looked on as lessons learned and strength gained. They have provided you with a new set of tools that you can use for the year to come. And as we connect with our ancestors and reflect on the past, we can move into our present and make connections to the lessons learned from our ancestors, as well as the lives that we are living now. All right, I'm going to step down off of my uh, soapbox. <laughs> Let's talk about some history of Samhain. Much of this I covered in my Halloween episode, as Samhain is uh, a major player in the history of Halloween. But here are some important details. So Samhain has its origins in the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, or Samonios, please forgive my pronunciation, which marked the end of the Celtic year and the beginning of the new one. The Celts, who lived in parts of what are now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and France, celebrated Samhain at this time of year, approximately the end of October and the beginning of November, and was a time when the boundary between the living and the dead was believed to be penetrable, allowing spirits to pass in the mortal world. It was primarily an agricultural festival, marking the end of the harvest season and a time to reap or bring in the final crops and prepare for the harsh winter ahead. Livestock were often slaughtered for food, and the surplus was preserved for the winter. The Celts, whose history is a bit murky due to a lack of documentation, were thought to believe that during Samhain, the spirits of the dead returned to earth. This led to the tradition of leaving out food and drink to appease these spirits and to protect the living from their mischief. Some people also wore costumes and masks to disguise themselves from vengeful or mischievous spirits. With the eventual spread of Christianity in the British Isles and Europe, Samhain began to assimilate Christian elements. And in the 9th century, the Catholic Church established All Saints Day on November 1st, followed by All Souls Day on November 2nd. These Christian holidays were likely deliberately placed to coincide with Samhain, effectively integrating elements of the pagan festival into the Christian calendar. Over time, the term Halloween emerged, derived from All Hallows' Eve, referring to the evening before All Saints' Day. Halloween retained many traditions and symbols from Samhain, such as costumes, bonfires, and the belief in spirits, but it evolved into a more secular holiday with a focus on community and children's activities. Today, many pagans, witches, and spiritual individuals celebrate Samhain with a focus on honoring ancestors, celebrating the changing of the seasons, and preserving and adapting ancient customs into contemporary pagan rituals. However, it is not as popularly celebrated worldwide as the secular and largely commercialized Halloween is. I still love Halloween, though, just saying. Samhain has a rich and multifaceted history, evolving from ancient Celtic agricultural and spiritual traditions to a different but slightly similar Christianized holiday, and finally to the secular celebration of Halloween. But it remains a very important festival for many pagans, witches, and magical practitioners. Which brings us to ancestor work. Ancestor work I want to start off by saying is extremely personal. So rather than walk you through a how-to, I'm going to just touch on some of the common basics, which is sort of how we roll here at A is for Agrimony anyway. At least that's my aim. But I want to start off with this very beautiful prayer that I came across. Breathe into me, my ancestors, and inspire me today. 
Move in me, my ancestors, so that my work today may be true to who we are. Attract my heart, my ancestors, that I may love with the power of our line. Strengthen me, my ancestors, that I may defend life and its diverse forms. This is from a section called A Few of My Favorite Prayers in Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration by Mallory Voudot. This is an excellent book, and if you want some help in getting started with or looking into or learning a bit more about ancestor veneration, I highly recommend this one. So ancestor work or ancestor veneration is a common practice in various witchcraft and folk traditions. It involves honoring and connecting with one's ancestors, typically to seek guidance, wisdom, and support from those who have passed on, as well as to preserve the traditions, knowledge, and legacies of the individuals who have come before us. The practice is rooted in the belief that our deceased ancestors and loved ones continue to influence our lives. Our ancestors are considered a valuable source of wisdom, protection, and spiritual connection. When we connect with them and cultivate that connection, they can bring unique insights into the challenges and experiences that we face in our lives. And by honoring and acknowledging them, we maintain a strong bond with our ancestral lineage and develop relationships that we may otherwise, we otherwise may not have had the privilege to do so in this life. Many practitioners create altars or shrines dedicated to their ancestors. And these spaces are adorned with photographs, mementos, candles, incense, and offerings such as food, drinks, or other items that the deceased enjoyed in life. The altar serves as a focal point for communication and connection with these ancestors. Some practitioners may choose to incorporate this into their working altars, while others believe that it is important to keep them separate. Ancestor work often involves rituals and offerings where practitioners might light candles, burn incense, and offer favorite foods or drinks to the ancestors as a way to show respect and establish a connection. And these rituals can be performed on specific days like Samhain, for example, or other special celebrations like the Day of the Dead in Mexican culture. Although many practitioners agree that nurturing a relationship with ancestors is something that should continue on throughout the entire year. You don't just call your mom or your favorite aunt once a year, right? So divination and communication may often play a major role in ancestor work. And divination tools such as tarot cards, pendulums, or scrying mirrors are sometimes used to communicate with the spirits of our ancestors. Practitioners may ask questions or seek guidance from the ancestors through these methods, while some also use meditation or trance states to establish a connection and receive insights. Genealogy and research may also play a role in your journey to discover your ancestors. Learning about one's family history and genealogy is often an important part of ancestor work. By discovering and understanding one's lineage, practitioners can better connect with their ancestors and understand the cultural and spiritual traditions that have been passed down through generations. And ancestor veneration is not only about receiving guidance, but also about seeking protection in some cases. Ancestors are believed to watch over and offer protection to their descendants, similar to the concept of a guardian angel. For some witches, these are one and the same, while for others, they are altogether different. 
Practitioners may invoke their ancestors' presence during times of difficulty or uncertainty for not just guidance, but protection from harm. Ancestor work takes on various forms and customs, depending on the cultural and spiritual background of the practitioner. But all will agree that practitioners of ancestor work should emphasize the importance of approaching this practice with respect and sincerity, as well as humility and gratitude. Ancestor work is a deeply personal and culturally influenced practice that varies among individuals and traditions. It is a way for practitioners to maintain a connection with their roots, to seek guidance, and to celebrate the lives and wisdom of those who came before them. And in various spiritual and cultural traditions, there is a concept of different types of ancestors, namely the ancestors of blood, land, and spirit. These distinctions represent various ways in which people connect to their ancestral heritage and their sources of guidance and support. Here's a quick explanation of these. (laughs) So ancestors of blood refer to one's biological or familial ancestors. These are the individuals who are genetically connected to you through your lineage, your family lineage, such as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and so on. The bond with ancestors of blood is based on shared genetics and familial ties. They are the people from whom you directly descend and inherit your physical traits and genetic characteristics. And although you may not know them, you can learn about them through relatives or genealogy work if you have a connection with your biological family. Ancestors of blood are often seen as the foundation of one's family heritage and are usually the first ancestors people think of when considering their lineage. However, many spiritual practitioners have no connection to their biological family or have no knowledge of them, which can make ancestor work seem challenging or even impossible. The work can still be done on a spiritual level or... I am of the belief that our ancestors need not be blood relatives in all cases. Our beloved dead can be ancestors with no blood ties to us. And as the saying goes in life, the blood of the covenant is stronger than the water of the womb, so too do I believe this can apply beyond death. But we may also connect to ancestors of land and spirit. Ancestors of land are the spirits or entities associated with the specific geographic area or land where you reside or have a connection. They're often related to the natural environment, local history, and the spirits of a certain place. The connection to ancestors of land is based on a deep relationship with the land and natural environment, its history, and the spirits that inhabit it. People who practice land-based spirituality often venerate these ancestors to gain a sense of belonging and rootedness in their specific environment. Ancestors of land may play a significant role in many indigenous and nature-based spiritual traditions, as they are believed to provide protection, wisdom, and a connection to the land and its ecosystems. And finally, we have ancestors of spirit. Ancestors of spirit are non-biological ancestors who are connected through spiritual or cultural traditions. They can include revered historical figures, spiritual teachers, mentors, inspiring figures, deities, and other entities who have influenced your spiritual or cultural path. 
The connection to ancestors of spirit is based on shared beliefs, teachings, and a sense of spiritual guidance. People often seek wisdom and guidance from these ancestors to navigate their spiritual or magical practices. Ancestors of spirit are especially important in religious and spiritual practices. They are viewed as sources of wisdom, protection, and inspiration, and they may be honored through prayers, rituals, and offerings. As a witch, I sometimes will energetically reach out to witches of the past, specifically those who lived and resisted oppressive systems in their times for guidance, inspiration, or simply to honor them with ritual and offerings. It's important to note that these categories are not mutually exclusive, and individuals may have a relationship with ancestors of all three types, but the distinctions are useful for understanding the different ways in which people can connect to their ancestral heritage and seek guidance and support. In some cultures or belief systems, this, these categories may be expanded or modified to suit their specific practices and beliefs. Okay, before I let you go, I want to talk about one Samhain and also ancestral tradition that I have taken part in on a few occasions that some of you might be interested in trying one day, or possibly this Samhain. Just do what makes you comfortable, that's the most important. But it is the Dumb Supper. A Dumb Supper, also known as a Silent Supper, is a traditional ritual or observance that is often conducted during Samhain in various traditions. The purpose of a dumb supper is to honor and communicate with the spirits of the deceased, particularly one's ancestors, in a silent and solemn setting. Now, there are several ways that one can conduct or participate in a dumb supper, but here is a very simple explanation of what may be typical. Dumb suppers are typically held around Samhain and or at midnight or during the darkest part of the night, which is believed to be the time when the veil between the worlds is thinnest. The supper is usually set up in a quiet, dimly lit, or candlelit room, and it can be performed indoors or outdoors, depending on personal preference or tradition. An altar or a dining table is prepared and decorated with items that have symbolic significance, such as photographs of deceased loved ones, ancestral mementos, candles, flowers, and offerings. And then it is a silent commemoration. Participants in the Dumb Supper maintain complete silence throughout the ritual. Speaking is not allowed, as it is believed that the spirits are more likely to communicate when there is silence. A table is set for both the living and the deceased. Each place setting for the deceased may include a plate, utensils, and a chair, and of course food, and the living may have separate place settings of their own. A meal is prepared, and it often includes the favorite dishes and drinks of the deceased loved ones. These offerings are placed at the deceased's place settings, as the spirits may partake in the essence or energy of the food. Participants may silently offer prayers, invocations, or thoughts directed toward the spirits of the deceased, and these can include expressions of love, gratitude, and requests for guidance or protection. The living participants then may eat their meal in the dimly lit room, still in silence, reflecting on their loved ones and the connection with the spirit world. The atmosphere is typically somber and meditative. After the meal, participants may keep vigil, 
sitting in silence for a period of time, waiting for signs or messages from the spirits. This might involve sitting in a sitting in quiet reflection or even practicing divination, such as with tarot readings or scrying. Finally, at the conclusion of the Dumb Supper, participants may express their gratitude to the spirits and release them. This is done to ensure that the spirits do not linger in the living world and can return to the afterlife. The altar or table is cleared of the offerings and the meal remnants, which may be ritually disposed of in a specific manner, such as burying them in the earth or leaving them outdoors as offerings to outdoor creatures or simply disposing of them. A dumb supper is a deeply spiritual and introspective practice that allows participants to connect with their ancestors and loved ones who've passed away. It's a time to honor, remember, and seek communion with the spirit world while maintaining a respectful and solemn atmosphere. The exact details and customs of a dumb supper may vary among different traditions and individual practitioners, but the core elements of silence, offerings, and reflection are usually present. I have read about dumb suppers that begin with the dining table set completely backwards, including individuals moving about the room in a backward motion. And although I have conducted my own dumb supper in the past um, along the same lines as what I just described, I've also dispensed with most of the structure of the supper and simply set an additional plate of food and place setting for my beloved dead during a typical Samhain feast. However you decide to honor the spirits, this Samhain is completely up to you, if at all. Either way, I hope you have a truly magical experience. And I just have two more things for you before I let you go. First is the last several times I've done a um, Wheel of the Year celebration episode, I have read my tarot correspondence, which I got from the Llewellyn's um, planner from, you know, a few years ago now. So I might as well just keep up with the tradition because we have Samhain and the moon. So at Samhain, we honor ancestors and prepare for a time of reflection the moon tarot card also suggests a time of reflection as the moon reflects the light of the sun. Part of the spiritual work of the, this dark time of year is clearing out that which no longer serves, which usually includes facing fears and difficult truths, our inner dragons. The crayfish in the moon card is also associated with divination, strong spiritual connections, and communication between realms. Samhain a time when the veil between worlds is thin is also a time for divinatory activities and ancestor work. The card features a lot of water, representing the deep and sometimes turbulent waters of the soul. Dive deeply and submerge yourself in the moon. Find your way through these deeps and discover the gifts that will help shape you as you continue your journey. All right, and one last thing before I let you go, I want to give a very warm-hearted welcome to a new Patreon member. Welcome to CJ. CJ, I am so, so appreciative of your support. Thank you so much for becoming one of my Patreons. I hope that you love being a part of our little growing community, um, and I just want to give you a great big sound shout out. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, if any of you are interested in checking out the Patreon, it is patreon.com slash A is for agrimony. We have a bottom tier where for just $3 a month, you can help support the podcast. And I will do a shout out for you on an episode and add you to our friends and supporters list. You will also be included in weekly chat discussions that I come up with and post myself so that you can participate in community discussions. Um, our most popular tier right now is $5 a month where you get access to the unedited video format episodes that will be released on the Patreon every Thursday. You see how much of a mess these episodes actually are before I edit and clean them up for Friday. <laughs> I will also have you vote on a monthly spell and provide you a monthly spell to perform on the last Friday of every month. I do weekly card readings, uh, which will include an oracle card and a tarot pool. And I am currently working on a couple new tiers that will be coming out in November following the launch of the Coven Shop. So a lot of fun. Feel free to go check it out. But that is all that I have for you today. So please be well and have an amazing weekend and a blessed Samhain. so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, Coffee Stained Notes on Witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you're listening. If you'd like some more content, please go to aisforagrimony.com where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, the living grimoire, and soon to come, the coven shop. You can follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between each word over on threads under the same exact handle. Or you can like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash A is for agrimony. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at A is for agrimony.com. And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join the community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share early release unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, occasional bonus content, and more to come. Again, thank you for listening, be well, and have an amazing weekend. The connection to ancestors of spirit is based on shared beliefs, 
teachings, and a sense of spiritual guidance. What? Dude, I need like 15 more minutes, okay? Oh, wow. Wish you could see the tantrum that's going on right now. 15 minutes, all right? <laughs> okay. Where the hell was I? <clears throat> I need you to give me 15 minutes. Come on. 15 minutes. Please, 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 and thank you. Please and thank you. All right, go. Watch your head. Stop hitting your head on my desk. Are you being serious right now? I know. 15 minutes. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> I'm going to try to ignore her. Oh, she's nudging me. Can you come up here and say hello? All right, well then run along and give me 15 minutes. She's just gonna circle my desk like a shark. All right. The connection to ancestors, sorry. The connection to ancestors of spirit is